We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. To have two back to back. Uh, turnovers for scores is a uh, you know very uh, tough. Come, the pitcher's on. The ball is free, and it's picked up on the play by Brown, and you can see him tumbling in, and it was grabbed eventually by Clemens, who takes it in for the Jacksonville touchdown. I don't think I uh, cost necessarily cost the team the game. Right, the touch back to the 20-yard line after the six-yard fumble recovery return for the team. Picked off. It's grabbed by Smith. It is a pick six. Fourth and one. And knocked away. Play right there, Aaron Colvin. Knocked it away from Hogan. All right, folks, it was Kevin Harlan of CBS Sports and our own local GOAT, E.J. Manuel, from his interviews at buffalobills.com. I'm Drew Gear. This is Chris Kruger Prince, Chris Kruger Producing, and this is the Rockpile Report. And what you just heard is the sound of the Buffalo Bills pissing their postseason hopes away. If anyone has been paying attention, you know, listening to the radio, maybe going on any of the message boards or, you know, Buffalo Bills websites out there, what I predicted last week is in fact true, and Rome is in fact burning. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Everyone has collectively lost their damn minds, and with good reason. Our team looks borderline pathetic. We look like one of the worst teams in football. I, there's, there's nothing anybody can do to change that right now. I mean, they are, what they are what the performance we saw on Sunday and what their schedule says they are. That is exactly correct. Now, before we really get into the breakdown of the game from you, we got together on Sunday to watch the game at your girlfriend's house and I brought the whole setup with the impression that we were going to record our podcast after the game. And we didn't, because Drew had a lot of drinks. We did, however, record 11 minutes of material, and I had cut that down. And we, we have a montage to play, everyone. Drew has not heard this yet. 
This is... <laughs> oh, God. Yes. This is Drew's initial reaction to the Bills losing to the Jaguars within about an hour after the game. Thank you, sir. But I fear inebriation may cause me to forget my manners in such fine company. I'm glad that at least two-thirds of our country tuned in to see what we get to watch every week. With this garbage loss to a football team, we cemented our position in the basement of the AFC East. The Jaguars wouldn't have been up if E.J. Manuel didn't decide to spot them 20 points. 20 points. You scare me. You're an alcoholic. EJ, if you if someone puts this in your ear, if you get to hear this somewhere, hang yourself. Sincerely, Drew Gear. Seriously, you are an alcoholic. But they have to fire someone in the coaching staff to send a message to this football team. They have to. It's the only way to get it back. And even then, I don't know that we're we're not a playoff team. We're not. If we're gonna lose to the one and five Jacksonville Jaguars, spot them twenty points and then still find a way to piss away a lead to them. Hopefully it's Dennis Thurman. I'm sorry, but I've never seen somebody do so little with so much. That guy's a ass. Yeah, you're drunk. I knew it. I'm sorry. Matt Hasselbeck played as a backup with a dog defense and managed to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars and somehow the Bills couldn't do it. You know, you're in no you're in no condition to, to deal with this right now. I don't so- give a f- All right. Well, now that I've sobered up somewhat, I'm willing to tell you all that I still don't think we're a playoff team, and I stand by pretty much everything I said. Even EJ to hang himself? All right. All right. You went a little far there. All right. I'll apologize. Don't hang yourself. Just maybe go get lost in the woods for a while. You know, maybe up by Chestnut Ridge, take a hike. Get lost for a few days, some helicopters out looking for you. It would make me feel better. Okay. This isn't a playoff football team. That ship sailed Sunday morning when we lost that football game. Of course it sailed. They had to come back across the Atlantic. I still think they should have made EJ walk home. <laughs> walk and walk home. You heard me. I didn't stutter. EJ, you want to come home, you gotta do a triathlon. I, I don't want to see E.J. Manuel play another game in a Buffalo Bills jersey. That's it. I don't care. I'm officially on the go sign Ryan Mallet bus. Is anybody coming with me? Anybody? Anybody want to take a ride with me on the let's go sign Ryan Mallet right now bus? No yelling on the bus! I'll yell all I want. This is absurd. I don't care what you have to do. Put him as our number two and bump E.J. to three. And then just let his contract expire and let him go... I don't know, use his master de- master's degree and millions of dollars that he made for doing nothing for our football team. Let him go open a business somewhere. Whatever. Move on with your life. Get the hell away from my football team. I can't stress that enough, EJ. Get the hell away from my football team. He doesn't look like an NFL quarterback. People look at the box score. I heard we were watching it with our, my friend Bob, who's a Dolphins fan, and he said, oh, well, look at the stats he's putting up in fantasy. Oh, he's the second-best fantasy quarterback throughout halfway through the second game. That's garbage, because anyone who saw the incompletions bouncing in the dirt, you know, three or four feet in front of their intended receivers, the first play of the game, he threw a screen pass directly into Robert Woods' feet. 
It's a screen pass. That is the easiest throw to complete because it's it's maybe 15 feet away from you and the guy isn't moving. There's no guesswork there. So the fact that he wasn't accurate enough to hit that pass tells me everything I need to know right there. I mean, it looked like bad high school football quarterbacking. He just doesn't look like a guy with a spot in the NFL on anybody's roster. No, he can go uh, play in the CFL. Have fun with that. I don't know if the CFL would have him. The CFL didn't want Tim Tebow. What the hell is E.J. Manuel going to do? I don't think Tim Tebow wanted the CFL. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) No, Tim Tebow wanted to be, just wanted to spend the rest of his life as an analyst on ESPN. He's good at that. You think he's good? People love him. He's Jesus. You, boy. That's an argument for another day. Our defense was soft at the worst possible moments. You know, we take the lead. Great. We got a pick six. You guys just brought us back. Now buckle down and shut this crappy offense down. There's a reason that they're one of the last ranked teams in offense in the NFL. And yet we let them march down the field on us. March down the field. I get it. You you can tell me that that call ruined the game. I don't care. You still have time. It's not like that that penalty put them on the goal line. You still had opportunities to make plays, and you failed to do so. It's unacceptable considering the amount of money and the amount of talent that's on our defense. And that, that blame rests straight on the coaching staff. To hell with you, Dennis Thurman. Get him out of here. He's next. Oh, him and EJ. They can go take a walk together. Just, just go see the eternal flame and don't come back for a few weeks. Our offensive line failed to get any push. Our pass blocking couldn't hold up against a pretty pedestrian defensive line. We got embarrassed in almost every phase of the game. I don't know what else to say. I mean, our offense spotted the other team 20 points. And (laughs) we just couldn't find a way back. We tried. They pulled out all of the stops with limited personnel, injuries, everything else. They tried their best and came up short against one of the worst teams in football. With the exception of the game-winning touchdown, all of Jacksonville's points came in the second quarter. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. E.J. Manuel spotted them a lead that then he couldn't bring us back from. Our defense had to pitch in with a touchdown. And then even by that point, our defense was so tired that they couldn't do anything. Poor execution on defense. Poor play on offense, an atrocious day behind center. I just, the whole thing is a, it's a cluster. It's all it is. It's FUBAR. And I'm, I'm glad it's a bye week because it's going to take me a while to get over that one. Yeah, that was, that was a tragic, tragic loss. I'm happy for the bye week as well. I mean, our skill position depth has just been decimated by injuries. We got nothing. What, what do we have? We, if you can't beat one of the worst teams in football with the personnel you have on your team, then all of this perceived depth that we thought we had isn't good enough. We need to try harder. We need to draft better players. We need to go out and make better moves in free agency. Percy Harvin was made a glass before we picked him up. We knew that coming into the season. So the fact that they, and so was Goodwin for that fact. So. The fact that they came into this season with no backup plan to, hey, what if both of these guys continue down their career paths of injuries? <laughs> what if that happens? The fact that they came to, out with no answer is just embarrassing. It really is. And we already have that with uh, Sammy Watkins. Yeah, I just, Still injured. 
our whole team, th- this takes me back to the seasons where by week seven or eight, we were picking up waiver wire offensive linemen and trying to patchwork our, our, our receiver core. That's like our, the, the entire middle of the 2000s for us. Just bad player after bad player after bad player trying to just patch holes because the boat was sinking and we were trying to bail it out with a teaspoon. It's, it's too little too late. This team doesn't have the depth that we assumed that it would. We also didn't assume that everyone was going to get hurt right out of the gate. And it's just decimated our chances of making the postseason. It's disappointing. Our hero of the game this week, the award goes to, I mean, it was hard to pick anybody, but since I have to, we're going to go with Robert Woods. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my and suck my everyone. Bob came up with big catches when seemingly no one else could do anything on offense. He had a nice sideline grab. He had that grab in the end zone where he tightroped the the sideline and still managed to bring it down. And a lot of the passes thrown in his direction were trash. So I give him a lot of credit for hauling them in. Speaking of hauling trash, my zero of the game award goes to EJ Manuel. Now, I assumed that Rex Ryan was going to hang on to this title for a while, kind of like... Um... Well, he'd already had it two weeks in a row. His yeah. previous quarterback held on to the butt fumble for how long? I assumed that that's how long Rex was going to hang on to this title. But well, apparently we have a new contender for Sir Sucks a lot here in Buffalo. And that honor goes to EJ this week. He looked worse than a rookie quarterback. Worse than a rookie. And considering how much time he's had and how much we've put into trying to bring him up as an NFL quarterback, I think it's time to just cut bait. This guy is trash. I thought he was done last year in Houston when he got benched for Orton. I had told some coworkers of mine at the time, he's, he's done as a bill. I, would, I don't expect him to play again this season, and I'm not going to expect him to even, if he's on the roster this season, I'd expect him as a backup and nothing else. I wouldn't. You're seeing exactly why he's not a backup. You're seeing it. You can't trust him to do that job. No, he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. He's got no accuracy. I don't know. The whole thing is. The whole thing just makes me sick. Looking ahead, we've got a lot of to figure out during this bye week. I mean, here you take a look at our upcoming schedule. It's not going to be easy. We come out of this bye, and we have to play three straight division games. Three straight. By the end of that stretch, if we don't make hay out of those games, the rest of our schedule won't matter because we'll be so far out of it that we cannot compete for a postseason spot. No way. The way Miami's playing, I don't want to play them right now. Well, it doesn't matter because they're they're coming in two weeks, so get ready. That might be the, the... The best case scenario is that they're coming here and Tannehill historically cannot play here. Terrible. Listen, right now they look like two different, two completely, this team right now, this Miami Dolphins team looks completely different from the Miami Dolphins team that we kicked the shit out of in Miami. I honestly believe that they're going to come here and they're going to bring the ruckus. And I mean, looking at our schedule, we have to go seven and two down the stretch. One of those losses automatically is New England. 
Well, and that's the thing. One of those losses, New England and Foxborough, does anyone really feel comfortable a, right on now? On a Monday night. Does on anyone a Monday. Feel, does anyone feel comfortable? Short of Tom Brady just getting so t- Like, maybe his arm is so tired from just throwing touchdowns all over everybody that he just decides to take it easy on us and only score 28 points. Does anyone here honestly believe that we might have a chance at that game, given how, given how our team is playing right now? I get it. Any given Sunday, anything can happen. Right now, you just can't sell that to me. I'm too, I'm too jaded about where we are as a football team. I mean, the health of our team is going to be the crux of this entire, <laughs> this entire movement going forward. How we come out of this bye week. If we can't get our starting right tackle back, if we can't get Carlos Williams back, if we can't get the rest of our skill players back to bring some balance to our offense, our defense can do whatever it wants to try to limit opponents, but there's, you can't tell me that we're going to put up points against quality football teams. We just won't. No, and I don't even trust our defense right now. No, it's... I, do we know who's going to be healthy for that game against the Dolphins? No, no one knows. They, they're not going to talk about it. They're not going to talk about it until probably the week before. I mean, I, I see coaching changes. I see things have to be made. I hate to be that guy who midseason is calling for someone's head. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is Rex. This is his thing. This is what he does. I don't want Rex gone. Not yet. I want Dennis Thurman. I've made no, I've made no, uh, it's not a big mystery that I want that guy tarred and feathered in public and then just ridden out of here on a rail. Or maybe dragged out by a horse. I don't know. Whatever anyone else, you know, whatever we're in the mood for here. Maybe we can take a poll. Maybe we can start a web poll on how we should exodus him or exile him from the city of Buffalo. But he's got to go. Rex needs to take a more hands-on approach with this defense because I don't see our our coordinator. The system that we're drumming up isn't working with our talent. This is not what they – this wasn't the defense that they assembled. No. Schwartz's defense was the defense that like these, most of these players were fit for. Let your front four attack the quarterback. And Thank that's you. That's what Schwartz had. On the, on the last pass play. On the last pass play that he completed for the, for the touchdown, Mario Williams was dropping back in coverage. Bull****. 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 You cannot tell me that you pay this guy $100 million to go cover somebody in the flat. That's a crock. If you think that, then you're a poor defensive coordinator and you don't know the talent you have and you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be allowed anywhere near it. For that reason and that reason alone, get this guy the hell away from my football team. I refuse to take them seriously until they do. And then you've got, and then you've got Roman. I said it last week. I don't know what the hell Roman does after his first drives. I, I'm, I'm assuming he just goes to the hot dog cart. His refusal to run with LaShawn McCoy out of the shotgun, right? You have a bad offensive line or at least a line that's struggling. Why not spread the field, open up some room between the tackles, let, get them away from stacking the box. That way, your receiver, who's shifty and fast and all of these things, can either catch passes in the flat and get to the next level or take a handoff and clearly see the field so that he knows where to make his cuts and he can get to the second level easier than he would if, you're, if everyone's crowded around the line. I'm not a genius. I'm not a genius at all. I'm some guy who makes, you know, <laughs> in like the middle to high 30s a year who sits on his couch and watches football and is trying to figure out why somebody who gets paid millions of dollars 
to coach and you know be involved with this with this game can't see that. I don't understand it. It boggles my mind why these coaches are trying to take our entire team and they're doing the one thing that Rex said in his opening presser that he wasn't going to do. Take a square peg and try to shove it through a round hole. But it's exactly what he's doing. It's it's disgusting. And I I can't I can't stand it. I never want to see Mario, Jerry, Marcel, or Kyle drop into coverage ever. The, Every play attack the quarterback. The, well, and that's the problem. They're not doing it because they think Rex Ryan's ego, Dennis Thurman's ego, Greg Roman's ego is getting in the way of what's best for this football team. There needs to be a change made. And if no one's willing to make it, then... I bet you will be drafting in the, I'd say, low teens this year. Perfect. I think there's some uh, decent quarterbacks and or offensive linemen that we can uh, mold into NFL players. It's pathetic, dude. I, it's pathetic to hearing, hearing you say it. I just, it hurts. It hurts me. On a, it just hurts me inside knowing that this is what we've resorted to. Now we're already thinking about where we're going to draft. This feels like... I've been thinking about that since, like, September. God, I hate you. God, I hate you. And even when the draft rolls around, I think the last couple of years, it's for me, watching the draft, it's like, within the first four rounds, like, okay, let's take a quarterback. Never happened. <laughs> I'm one of the few people... And I know there's people out there, but I'm one of the few people who just keeps writing this point that if you don't have a quarterback, and quarterbacks are so difficult to find... Why wouldn't you just try to maximize your odds by drafting one every year? And everyone says, oh, no, you can't do that. Says who? Who wrote the friggin' book on drafting that says that you can't draft a quarterback every season until you find one? I don't know the exact numbers, but they've, it's been talked about on WGR. I forget what year, since what year, but basically over the last 10 years, New England has drafted more quarterbacks than Buffalo. Because New England's a competent football organization, and we are not. <laughs> we have proven not to be. They drafted uh, Brian Hoyer, Brian Mallett, Rohan Davey. Rohan Davey. Brian St. Pierre. Oh, man. Hello, I've never heard of you before. Rohan Davey. You're going to dig deep for Rohan Davey. Hats off to you, man. Yeah, LSU. LSU. <laughs> Rohan Davey, drafted by New England. Wow. While Rohan. we have dr never really used any of our picks on a quarterback. You know, it's the one glaring weakness the that The last middle-round quarterback that I can remember us drafting was round seven, downtown Levi Brown. <laughs> I'm, at the, I'm at the point now where I honestly believe that the Bills would almost be better off, rather than like trying to trade for a replacement for EJ, <laughs> let's hold an open tryout like they did in Always Sunny. If anyone familiar with the show Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the Eagles claimed <laughs> that they were holding a tryout, and all of these people showed up to go run around in the field and most of, you know, and try out for the, for the football team. And most of them were just drunk slobs. I never saw that episode. I have, uh, I'm, I have a feel. I like watching the show. I have a feeling that if any one of those were shown as doing a tryout, it was 
going to be Mac. Yes. And he tried out. Oh, they all tried out. They all tried out. They all tried out. And in the end, the McPoyle's brother was going to get, he, he was some beast, and he was going to make the football team. And then because um, Frank was all high on acid, he ended up shooting him in the leg. What, and, se- <laughs> what season is this from? I can't, I can't honestly remember. I'll have to look that up on Netflix or something and watch it because that sounds fun to watch Mac try out for a football team. Yeah. But in any event, I'd be I'd be more comfortable with that than I would be with them letting EJ Manuel play another football game for this football team. I just can't do it. I mean, you look at the you look at the talent on the other teams in our division. Coming into the season, we thought we were flying high, and now we're looking at it like, wow, these teams are just a lot better than we are. I don't think anybody saw Cincinnati being as good as they are and Andy Dalton playing as well as he has. But that's the thing. The team has always had talent. It's just been Andy Dalton. This is just the first time he's ever shown that he actually can play football at a high level. Maybe he's finally figured it out. And that's the thing. Maybe it flipped the switch. Maybe that's all it was. It took him four years to come on, and now he's on. And now he's just going to be a good quarterback. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see how the season pans out. And just a word out there to the wise. If anyone's ever looking for something, you know, I don't know how you guys are about rum. I'm not much of a rum guy. But right now I'm sipping on a little bit of this Captain Morgan commemorative blend. A little bit on the rocks. Kind of hear it clinking around in there. It's good. For somebody who doesn't like rum, I'm drinking it straight. and It's fantastic. It's smooth. It's... Got a nice warmth to it. <laughs> it's, adding, it's adding a lot of warmth and good feelings back into this podcast. Sorry, I got a little dark there, guys. Uh, so we're going to lead into the AFC East Roundup. Oh! <laughs> we're going to start the roundup with the Dolphins. They're our next opponent. Last week, they dominated Texas. They scored 40 points before halftime. I think they had 35. 35? 35 at the start of the second. Well. Or within the first couple minutes of the second, they were at 35. <laughs> they dominated Texans. I mean, they, you fire your coach and look what happens. This All of a sudden, they look like a completely different team. They've learned how to fight. That's the thing I've noticed. They're fighting in the trenches. And maybe that is something to do with getting uh, Brandon Elbert back. Maybe that is something to do with Ndamukong Sue and Cameron Wake finally, you know, Wake's back to being healthy. You know, maybe they're playing it a little bit more into their old roles, getting back into what they're used to doing. They're kind of hitting a groove. But this team's got a lot of fight to it all of a sudden, which they didn't have during their first three to four games there, especially going into that game overseas. That ultimately cost Philbin his See, job. I read some quote. I forget which player it was, but somebody had, had said that Dan Campbell is making a difference and that they would run through a wall for Dan Campbell. Well, th- because do you see him, though, on the sideline? The guy's fired up. He's in his players' faces, but in a good way. He's he's one of the guys. They see him as an, like an extension of their team. Well, he wasn't that far off from being retired. I believe he's only 39 years old. Yeah. And he's he's right in there with them, and th- these players are playing hard for him. They're a dangerous football team. I, they've <laughs> that game here at the Ralph. We've already dropped home games. I mean, wh- what are we now? Four home losses in Giants, Patriots, Bengals, 
So we're three. This might be four. If we don't, if we don't figure our shit out, between, figure it out during the bye week. I don't know. I, I don't know how we're going to get over this hump because they seem to have they just their offense is firing on all cylinders. That's the thing here. They're they're coming out and they're they're turning every game into a track meet all of a sudden, like they think they're the New England Patriots. Well, I mean, it's still for me, I still think that Tannehill, when they come here, Tannehill's going to play how he's played in the past here, which is not very good. And I'm only saying that because I hate the Dolphins. Well, everyone hates the Dolphins. I'll say this, though. Given that they're playing like the Patriots, they get to play the Patriots this week. Now, they beat the Pats last season. Is that in Miami or in New England? I believe it was in Miami, and this game's going to be in Foxborough. But this time, I mean, it looks like they're going to be able to put up more of a fight offensively than what the Jets showed them last week. So it'll be an interesting game to watch, and it really will be. That's our big game on Thursday night coming up here. Speaking of the Jets, they rode their defense all day. And some really solid quarterback play from Ryan Fitzpatrick, which I don't know where the hell that came from. He's got Chan Gailey. He knows his offense. They went, they went into Foxborough and had the champs on the ropes. Okay, they, The Patriots did their best Ali impression when it came to the Jets this weekend. Because at one point, it looked... It looked like the Jets were going to win that football game. It really did. I mean, the, the, the Jets had their clock management issues. You know, there's that highly publicized offs, you know, the false start call on Brandon Marshall, which he himself called one of the worst plays in football history. The fact that the Jets lost in Foxborough isn't the story. The story is that the, they were in a position to win the game late against the undefeated New England Patriots on the road in Foxborough. Defending Super Bowl champions? That tells you how good these Jets are playing right now. They made Brady look human. That says something. I mean, this is another team that all of a sudden you look at it and it, they, they, look a, they look a lot more than capable of handling the Buffalo Bills. And then you've got the Patriots. They managed to stay unbeaten at home. Now they get to take on the Dolphins at Foxborough, where they don't lose very often. It is extremely difficult to go into Foxborough and get a win. This is a game that the Patriots should come out with a victory. But at the same time, we have no idea what Finns team is going to show up. If the Finns team that kicked the hell out of the Texans this past weekend shows up, that game could be a fist fight, and it's going to be a lot of fun to see it. I think tomorrow night I will be watching the Sabres and Penguins over to the Dolphins and Patriots. Are you high? Very high on life. I love hockey. I'll watch the Sabres over over two teams from my division that are above me because my team will never be there this season up at the top. You disappoint me on so many levels. Sabres, Sabres give me hope this season. I'll be watching the hockey game. Well, speaking of hope. Maybe I'll pull it up on NFL Network on my tablet. Speaking of hope, let's take a look at the, uh, you know, the for those of you who are still optimists, let's take a look at the AFC playoff picture and our possible rooting interest since we're all going to be sitting around watching some football this weekend. I mean, I take, take into account the fact that we are now a sub-500 team. We're not only going to need a turnaround, but we're going to need a lot of charity 
from the rest of our division in order to break this 15-year drought of missing the, missing the damn playoffs. We're in ninth position right now, and we've got a kind of a stiff hill to climb to get to sixth. Right now, the opposition in front of us is Pittsburgh, Oakland, and Miami. They're going to be our main competitors down the stretch here for a wild card spot. And unfortunately, we only get to play one of them, which means that our, our fate in that aspect is not really in our own hands when it comes to where those teams finish. I mean, three wins for Oakland and Miami. But given their bye weeks and their lack of losses, they're ahead of us because they don't have that elusive fourth loss yet. And four wins for Pittsburgh. There's hope. The door is still open a crack, but it's going to take a lot of work to get there. And it's going to take work on our part to get there. Yeah. But going into this weekend and watching football, here's what you should be rooting for. You take a look at each one of these teams. Okay. Well, first off, let's talk about the teams ahead of us. Pittsburgh's got a solid offense and a defense that's trying to find its way. You know, they got a lot of young players out there. They're trying to acclimate to a scheme. You know, they don't, they don't have... Big the, Ben might the, be the, back this year, or this week, rather. I heard he had some soreness in his knee. We'll have to see how that plays out. They don't have... You know, Dick LeBeau, he's not there anymore. They've, they've, they've gone in another direction with defense. The older players are learning the scheme. The younger players are still trying to get acclimated to the NFL. But what you're seeing is a defense that's opportunistic, and they've held that defense has done enough to hold them in some games and allowed them to win. You know, the game in San Diego comes to mind. I think when Big Ben gets back, that team is going to be back to being a team to be reckoned with because of the points that they can score and force you to be more one-dimensional on offense than you'd like. Plus, he's got the chemistry with Antonio Brown. Mm-hmm. Not, not like what Vic or Landry Jones has been well, having with Brown. He's a much better quarterback. That too. He's a much better quarterback. So th- their offense is automatically better. They, they play Cincy, Oakland, and Cleveland in the next three games. I expect them to go two and one. I do. Say Cleveland, Oakland, and Cincinnati? Uh, yep, Cleveland, Oakland, Cincinnati in their next three. That Cincinnati-Pittsburgh game will, will be excellent if Big Ben is playing. Mm-hmm. Oakland, a, a young off, they're kind of the opposite of Pittsburgh. They've got a lot of you know veteran players or at least you know a lot of free agents and stuff that they brought in on defense. They've got a really young offense. Young quarterback, you know, Derek Carr, Amari Cooper, you know, they're de- still developing their chemistry, but right now they look great together. <sighs> they're starting to come on. You saw that. I mean, they put a beating on San Diego this week. I didn't call that. I, there's no way I could have called that. I wouldn't have called that either, but they got up so big so early that they let, they let – San Diego back in in the I mean, fourth Derek, quarter, and it was based on Derek Carr's arm. It wasn't like they relied on a def, you know turnovers of the defense or you know just a lack of ability to stop the running game. Derek Carr took that team out there and put a beating on he San Diego. He was making plays with Amari Cooper. It's, it's, I'll say this: their rise. Their seeming ascension in the AFC may slow a little bit here in the coming weeks, considering that they have to play in their next three games the New York Jets, Pittsburgh Steelers, and Minnesota in their next three games. That leaves mm, 
I just feel like there's a little. I, I expect them to go one and two, possibly zero oh and three, which bodes well for our chances. But at the same time, who knows? Yeah. yeah look at our next three games: mm-hmm. Dolphins, Jets, and Patriots. Exactly. We also could be going zero oh and three. And then you got Miami. Where the f- did this team come from? And I, it, I know it's Halloween. And much like The Walking Dead, this team appears to have risen from the grave. The next three of them, uh, the next three games that they played, New England, Buffalo, and Philly, those aren't easy tests. We're going to find out whether this team is real or not. And unfortunately, it's going to be either to the benefit or the detriment of the Buffalo Bills, considering we have to play them. But the good news there is that we have our fate in our hands in that game. We can play against them and hand them a loss that helps us and hurts them at the same time. Yeah, that puts us 2-0 and against them in the division. So if it came down to some kind of a tiebreaker, mm-hmm. we'd have the upper hand. So that brings us to our Week 8 rooting interests. This week, if you're a Bills fan rooting for the postseason still, you got to root for the Pats over the fence. We're going to need to keep Miami in place during our bye week since we can't hope to catch New England. We have to hope that someone else can get bumped down who we beat and replace us. You know, We can leapfrog them for three third place in the division if they lose this football game, which right now is what we need. We also have to root for the Bengals over the Steelers. A part of me is hoping that Big Ben won't play, even though it kills me from a fantasy football standpoint. This is another team, the Bengals, that we'll never be able to catch. (laughs) So why not have them win over a team that's going to be fighting us for a wildcard spot for the rest of the season? Now, it's not a bad thing. It gives them another AFC loss if it breaks our way. That way, in the event of a possible tiebreaker, we might be all right. It's, that's just the lay of things. The Jets are going to play Oakland. I, don't, I know Oakland's at home, but I, don't see, I, I just don't see Derek Carr being able to throw the ball around the way he did last week. Oh, no, not, not against Cromartie or, Re- or Revis. Are you kidding me? No, they, those, those boys put the band back together. They are, they're killing it over there. We're going to root for the Jets to beat Oakland. Right now, the Jets are ahead of us for that very first, and they're leading the charge for that first wild card spot. As much as it kills me to say it, it's probably in our best interest that they stay there so that we only have to scrap it out with a couple teams rather than, you know, have them lose one, and then just have one more team. You know, it basically lifts Oakland up to their level. Meanwhile, we're still below them by Treading a water. Yeah. So I, I don't see Oakland beating them. If they do, I'll be shocked. I really will. And then kind of an outside, kind of, kind of an outlier game, the Chargers versus Baltimore. Now, this is a, these are two teams. Both of them have solid quarterbacks, but they have nothing else going for them. Their offensive lines are shaky. Their defenses are, are mediocre at best. You know, the linebacker cores, they can't do the job. Secondaries, they're having trouble covering wide receivers. We should be rooting for the Ravens here. They're already out. We'll By my, my, my book, they're already out. A team that's one in six. Excuse me. A team with a team's a team that's one and six, playing a team that's two and five. 
I don't need either one of these teams sneaking up behind us because they have good quarterbacks. At any time, this team could catch a three, four, five game win streak, or they could piece a couple together here and there. I don't need that them nipping at our heels in, in the conference. It's best if they both just stay down in the basement where it seems like they belong because the, so far this and I do understand they played some difficult games, but neither one of those teams strikes me as a real competitor at this point. No. Baltimore's number one receiver is like 38 years old. <laughs> well, here, someone floated the idea out there that the, the 49ers should trade Anquan Bolden. And it got me thinking. Anquan Bolden was traded away from the Ravens after the Super Bowl to the 49ers. Considering how Steve Smith's the only wide receiver on that football team who can seemingly get open... Why wouldn't they keep, why not? Since you have to outscore your opponent, why wouldn't the Ravens look to bring Anquan Bolden back? Hell, why wouldn't the Buffalo Bills approach the San Francisco 49ers with a conditional sixth round draft pick? We'll give you EJ Manuel. <laughs> we'll give you e- we'll give you EJ a sixth round draft pick and I don't know. $3,000 worth of chicken wings from Lenovo. And we'll make EJ and we'll make EJ carry them into the into the facility for you guys by himself. Well, I mean whatever we would have to do to sweeten the pot to get that bum off our roster would be better. I I honestly think if we were to offer them EJ Manuel in a trade, they would actually charge us more. They would want more for just taking his presence into the building. Get him out of here. But in any event, that's just another one of the things that's been swirling around the NFL this week. Now, there's something I want to touch on. Since we don't have a game to prepare for, what do we got for time over there, Chris? We're running at 40 minutes. 40 minutes? All right. There was a lot of people who thought that the penalty that got called in this football game this week that, that ruined our game. You know, the, And, of course, I'm talking about the garbage pass interference call on Nikhil Roby. The call today was terrible. I, I didn't. I didn't. I don't. I don't see where the contact was made or where any of that was made. Um, I didn't even press him that play. I played off coverage that play. Like he ran. Like I, I'm. I'm going to the ball. Like I'm. I'm going to the ball with my hands out. He's coming. He's coming into me already. I beat him to the spot. I already beat him to the spot. I'm going to get the ball, and he still threw the flag. I don't understand. That was Nikel Roby talking about. What happened on that unfortunate pass interference call from his interview on buffalobills.com? I'm going to get a little bit editorial on you here. The state of officiating in football is a joke. We all joke about it, you know? You talk about it at work, you bust your friend's chops when they complain, oh, we lost this game, but if it wasn't for this call and that call and this call, we would have had this one. I understand that that may be something that, you know, we've, We've gotten used to scoffing at because it's not something that you usually lend a lot of credence to. The better team wins the football game, and on any given, and at the same time, and on any given Sunday, some, anything can happen. Not only am I bitter about the game-changing call that against Roby that never should have been made, but after watching a whole day of football uninterrupted, I saw a lot of non-calls and flags thrown. That just disappointed me. I mean, it's disappointing. 
that's the officials doing a poor job, but the NFL for their lack of action against it. I mean, think about this. The Bills game. You've got the garbage call on Roby. That is a game changer. Whether you, I mean, I understand the defense still could have done their job, but that's a game changer. But then you get a little bit wider. I talked to a guy I work with, Raiders fan. He tells me about a garbage penalty on Robert Penn, and this is actually what got me thinking about this entire thing. I go and I watch the play. Just so everyone knows, I don't live in the hood. I don't know what the hell happens here. Every time we record, the damn sirens come out. Every time. You people at home must be listening to this thinking, God, what is this guy? We Drew does not live in the Perry Projects. We are in the safe neighborhoods of Depew, New York. Not that I got anything against the Perry Projects. I just, I don't live there. So the fact that there's constantly sirens going off in the background of our podcast, it's... It's, I just don't like it. It's annoying. Back to my point. Donald Penn. There was a call on him this weekend that was mind-boggling. It's a double whammy holding that became a roughing call. And then somehow the referee was trying to insinuate that it should should turn into a loss of down. (laughs) It blew my mind. My friend was trying to tell me about this, and I told him he had to be crazy because no one would ever make a call like that. And so I went back, and I watched it. I found it. I found it online, and I looked at it. And I watched them go through the process of trying to figure out what to make of this. They first tried to say that there was a holding call. Then the holding became a roughing call because after he held the guy, he roughed him in some way, shape, or form. And then they they declared that it was going to be fourth down instead of third down, which shouldn't be the case because it's not a dead ball foul. And then somehow at the last minute they had a huddle, which I'm assuming means they got a call from somebody upstairs in one of their earpieces telling them that they needed to change that ASAP before the whole world lost their damn minds about it. And then declared that it was going to be third down, but they still enforced the penalties. That's, that's the sloppiest officiating I've ever heard of. You go into the Bucks game. There's an offensive pass interference call called by a bunch of officials on the field. But after watching the video, video evidence clearly shows that there was no contact made throughout the course of any play between the corner and wide receiver. And it ended up changing, changing the game. Go to Monday Night Football. An offensive lineman checks into the football game and gives the, gives the referee, I saw it happen, it was hysterical, gives him the universal signal that he's declaring as an eligible receiver. It's where the lineman comes out, he faces up with the official, and he brushes his jersey from top to bottom, you know, chest down to his waist. That means he's declaring as an eligible receiver. He does this that the defense can't tell, you know, but it's, it's part of football. He does it directly in front of the official, They go out, they run a play, that lineman catches a pass for a substantial gain in a game in which the Ravens are trying to come back and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get back into the game and they get flagged for a legal formation. John Gruden loses his mind, demands that all the referees come over and talk to him about it. You've got the Monday, you've got John Gruden mocking this call, openly mocking it on Monday Night Football. And the only explanation Blandino can come up with is that, Well, the official didn't see it because he was changing the number of a previous penalty called in his handbook 
And it's the player's fault for not waiting for acknowledgement from the official. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but that's a joke. That is a goddamn joke. It's, it's become a week-to-week debacle, the, the standard of officiating in the NFL. And it's ruining the quality of our game. This is what I devote hours of my week to. I spend all year waiting for footballs. All summer, I'm chomping at the bit when there's nothing on. It's baseball every day, and I'm just desperate. Every day, I'm checking pro football talk and Buffalo rumblings and ESPN just to get a little taste of football. Just every day, just to see if there's something new out there to get me, you know, just get me through the summer until it comes back around. And yet, year after year after year, it, it gets worse. This problem of officiating, and they don't seem to want, the, the league just seems numb to it. So I started thinking about it in a more global perspective, and I got curious. You know, the journalist and me decided to dig into it a little bit more. I went to a website called NFLPenalties.com. It's a database that collects information on all of the penalties called over the years. They've compiled databases, and it's sortable, and it's, it's actually a really cool resource to look at. <clears throat> and what I found was kind of surprising. In 2010, just to set the, set the table for you guys in this, in 2010, there was 3,217 penalties called for a total of 27,045 yards. In 2012, that number increased to 3,319 for 28,077 yards. Now, we're talking games week one through week 20. Well, 19, the Super Bowl. By 2014, that number increased again to 3,526 penalties called for a total of 29,550 yards. Chris, where do you think we're at this season? I'm sick of all the penalties, really. I think it's, it's slowing the game down. And a lot of them are, are garbage calls. Even, I think any game I've watched so far to this season, at least two to three times during the game, the color analysts have been saying, ah, it shouldn't be a penalty. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of a weak call. Like, look at the, uh, the tie rod touchdown that got called back. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think we are on pace for this season? Is it the last uh, penalty yardage number he gave me was like 33,000? 3,526 penalties called last season. For how many yards? For two thousand, well, twenty nine thousand five hundred and fifty. I'm saying we're on pace for like thirty six thousand yards in penalties. This season we're on pace for now. You remember last season thirty five hundred and twenty six. This year through seven games going into week eight, if this pace continues, we're going to be looking at four thousand one hundred ninety six penalties called. Okay. For a grand total, I believe the number was, when I tried to do the numbers, it was about 32,486 
but it equated out an average to 104 football lengths given up in penalties. That's 104 touchdowns worth of penalties that you've granted to other to, to teams just by fouls, not by plays. Okay, <laughs> it's these are penalty calls. Let that sink in for a minute. 104 fields worth of penalties could be called this season if something doesn't change. I mean, it's not trending that direction. And many people want to point at a heightened sensitivity to wide receiver and cornerback contact contributing to that because of the Seahawks and how they openly admitted to holding receivers and doing all these things. Taunting and unsportsmanlike conduct calls are at an all-time high, as our own Jerry Hughes can attest to. Do you remember the unsports, the, the uh, taunting call that he got called for during the New England game for 15 yards because he celebrated a tackle? Yeah, and he I hit his that. own player on the top of the helmet. Yeah, and they gave him a 15 yard penalty. Yes, I remember that. That resulted in a touchdown for the New England Patriots. As a fan of the game, it's becoming a distraction from the game itself. I mean, this is the game that we love, and this is something that people pony up millions of dollars a week to go see. They pay to watch this game. And to see it turning into this is, it's, it's awful. You know, I, I can honestly attest to a declining interest in watching this game because there, it's just flags, flags and flags. And then suddenly you'll see a play that should be called. It's a, it's a no-brainer, and they just let it go. I mean, think about this. Flags have be- penalties and flags have now they now play just as big a role in any football game as you know an interception, or as you know some running back breaking ankles on his way out of the backfield for a forty-yard run. Penalties are now changing games the same way that you know tangible plays, good you know extravagant plays are changing football. Now we have penalties, and. Though, <laughs> It shouldn't be that way. As dedicated and loyal fans to our teams, we deserve better. That's just my own personal opinion. Sadly, given the state of the officials' union and the league's declination to rock the boat, considering how, you know, the last time the the NFL pissed off the referees' union, you saw what happened. They went on strike, and the officiating fail Mary, the Seattle and Green Bay, (laughs) the officiating was terrible. So the NFL is still kind of sore from that. You know, they don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to do anything, push the umpires any farther. You know, they, they don't want to do anything drastic that might upset everybody. But I don't know what you're left with. Because it's, it's affecting the quality of the game at this point. This past March, Dallas, Maverick, Dallas Mavericks owner and millionaire investor Mark Cuban did an interview with ESPN. And he referred to the NFL as a, quote-unquote, money pig. He claimed that in business, and I quote, pigs get fat, but hogs get slaughtered, and the NFL is getting kind of hoggy. As an investor, Mark Cuban learned that any product that grows too big and, you know, in its pursuit of growth alienates its core demographic and its custom and its original customer base you know the base that made it solvent it will eventually overextend itself and it will wither 
You know, when people are, especially the way the NFL is everywhere, if they're constantly bombarded by something, but then that product stops being special and it starts becoming just average. No one cares about it anymore. Now you've lost the people that cared about your game before and you can't win over the people who didn't give a damn about it to begin with. People eventually just become numb to it. I just, I hope that something changes and that we don't see the same thing happen to the game of football. It's kind of a sober note to leave everybody on, but we're going to end our show here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Pile Report. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.